It's my birthday tomorrow, you guys. So today's episode is a present of sorts. I'm really into this interview this week with my guest, Stephanie Rupert, and I promise I'll keep this short so we can get right into it, but I just want to highlight a couple things from the episode. She's such a fascinating person, but not only that, um, I connect with her a ton, which you'll hear in the in the episode, but she's probably also one of the smartest women I know. She's, she's very smart. She's the author of the book that's really popular, Sexy by Nature, and she's also a scholar. She studied at Dartmouth and now Oxford, and she's so knowledgeable in many different things, everything from science, including hormones, with her experience and the experience of lots of people she's worked with, as well as the philosophy side of things. She's a scholar of comparative religions and spirituality, and we talk about that as well. So in this conversation, you know, we get really deep on these topics that, you know, we don't really talk about in society, but ironically, they're my favorite things to discuss. Sex, religion, food and diet, the things you're not supposed to bring up with people you just meet, but I love to talk about them, so we're talking about them today, and it's a fascinating conversation, and I sprinkle in um, more things about my own story in this podcast that some of you might know, um, but a lot of you probably don't, and it's really cool. Um, I learn a ton from Steph live on the air, and I'm sure you will listening as well. We recorded this podcast back in December, and I'm just airing it now, but we've kept in touch since then, and I've been excited for a while to have this podcast actually air so you guys can listen to it, but I re-listened to it just now, you know, before I recorded this intro, and I forgot actually how great it was. Um, So listen carefully, enjoy, open yourself up to learn something new. Might even be one you want to listen to twice, so just, yeah, enjoy. Um, Before I hand over the show to to myself, to the host, to the actual show. Just a couple quick announcements. I promise I'll I'll keep these short. I'll talk really fast or something. But um, number one, I launched something super special last week. And many of you already know about this because you're already on my email list. Um, And I want to thank you because it's been fantastic getting your feedback for this. I launched my quick start guide to the wellness wonderland, also known as, and I say this in my Oprah voice, Katie's favorite things. (laughs) And it's basically a exclusive list for my email list only, where I share everything that inspires me. And as you guys know, I really think of myself as a curator, bringing you the people that inspire me through this podcast, the things that inspire me, and I just share them. So you're going to get my favorite books, my favorite movies, my favorite podcasts, my favorite videos, my favorite lectures, my favorite places, just really deeply personal things for me that are inspiring and hopefully they inspire you as well because I think we can all use some inspiration but also you know this list as a whole can inspire you to make your own list and share that authentically with other people because 
you know, I created this because it feels so good to share things that genuinely inspire you. Like, you know, you go to that restaurant that was so good. All you want to do is is tell your friends about it. You know, I think that's why social media exists so we can post about it and, and share our excitement with people. So anyways, if you're not on my email list and you want that, the link will be in the show notes first thing. So just, you know, if you click on the, um, there's going to be a live link if you're listening on your phone. If you click on the album art for the podcast, you'll get that live link to sign up for my um, email list and it gets sent right to you. So yeah, thank you guys so much for your feedback on that. And the other thing I really want to thank you guys for is so many of you left amazing reviews for the podcast. And I am just so grateful for that, that I want to do something for you guys because I really want to get more reviews because the more reviews that we get, the more iTunes knows that we're doing good work here and brings more people to the show, which really helps me out. So um, for those of you who have left a review, thank you. And those of you who listen to the show and like it um, or have some feedback, I would love for you to leave a review as well. And I decided I'm going to choose a review and um, send them a book. So put your name in the hat, you know, put your name in the ring or whatever that expression is, leave a review and you may get something special from me. So yeah, leaving reviews is so nice. So cool of you. And I have one more thing that I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to share it. Um, I'm finishing up my book right now, you guys. And I know I've kind of teased to you guys that I have this book coming out with Hay House and it's exciting and yay. Um, But I want you guys to be the first to know something about it. I have the publishing date for this book. And it's so far away that I was like, maybe I should wait a month to share this or like six. (laughs) But I decided I'm excited and I want to share it with you today. So put this on your calendars. Um, The book's publishing date is April 5th of 2016. That is less than a year away. How cool is that? Um, I'm super psyched about it. It's going to be great. The book is called Let It Out, A Journey Through Journaling. And just send me some good vibes because I'm doing big developmental edits right now and I'm really in, in the in the throes of that. So the podcast isn't every week anymore. It's more monthly-ish. Hopefully it'll start to be a little bit more. Um, and I'll get back to weekly, I promise. I have so many good ones on my computer. Melissa Ramos, Elisa Vitti, um, so many you guys just so many good ones a lot of friends of mine you're gonna just I'm not even gonna tell you anymore because I want you to be surprised but they're awesome just trust me um so yeah get on my email list so you know when the new podcast comes out subscribe on on iTunes because then it'll download it but you don't even need to do that if you're on my email list you'll you'll get the new episodes emailed right directly to you um leave a review that'd be way cool yeah, mark your calendar. You'll be able to pre-order, I think, before April 5th. But I, I was just excited and I wanted to share with my friends. So, yeah, you guys are my friends. Um, have an amazing week. It is my birthday. This episode is my present to myself and to you guys because I love it. So take it away and enjoy, and I will talk to you guys really soon. Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebow, or use the hashtag wellnesswonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland.
I have been excited for this interview for months. Ever since I found Stephanie Ruper on another podcast, I have been psyched to talk with her and introduce her to all of you guys. This woman is so authentic, smart, genuine, and I connect with her story in so many ways, and I know for a fact many of you do as well. Stephanie is the author of the best-selling paleo women's health book, Sexy by Nature, The Whole Food Solution to Radiant Health, Lifelong Sex Appeal, and Soaring Confidence. Amazing title. And she is the voice behind the Paleo for Women blog, the first ever body image self-love podcast, Live, Love, Eat. Gotta check that out. And she is also a scholar and holds degrees from Dartmouth, Boston University, and she's currently writing her next books, pursuing a PhD in philosophy and dancing all over the place. I'm so excited that she stopped by Wonderland today to talk to us about everything from body image to hormones, spirituality, romance, dance. We're going to get into it all. So thank you so much for being here, Stephanie. Hi, Katie. Um, Thank you. (coughs) I have a bit of a cough, so please excuse me if I start hacking away. I've got a ton of water and... um, Regardless, I'm super excited to be here with you, so thank you. Yay, cool. Well, um, all right, let's start by zooming the lens back and give um, people who are new a bit about your story, how you kind of came to doing this for a living and living in what I call your own version of the wellness wonderland. And you've had quite a journey to get there, so could you kind of get us started on a little bit of that? Wonderland. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's been a really long and winding path, and it is for everybody, right? And it's never perfect. Um, I don't know where to start. I guess I started in a place that a lot of people do. I ate this standard American thing. I was a vegetarian, and I ate a very uh, limited diet, but I ate such a restrictive diet that I often restricted, and then I obsessed about food because I wasn't letting myself eat it and I had cravings all the time and then I would way overeat and then I would feel super guilty and way under eat right and so I was on that roller coaster for a long time diet binge cycle right diet binge diet binge yeah yeah for like 10 years and then um I finally lost all the weight a stomach flu actually gave me like the momentum I needed like really go ahead and starve myself for a couple months and so I did that and I got super thin and completely lost I lost my period I lost my fertility I lost my sex drive like completely lost my sex drive even the idea of being romantic or going on dates was just totally unappealing to me um and that was terrible and then my mother recommended to me a paleo diet and I went on paleo and of course it fixed nothing because I was still super thin and still exercising more than all the athletes I knew were you know I exercised a ton so that lasted for a very long time and I developed a really horrible case of acne and I very much didn't like having acne I really didn't like it and I I started doing a lot of research about how to overcome that and the fertility thing as well. And I began to suspect that the answer to my fertility and acne problem was to gain weight. But I really, I didn't like that. That made me super anxious. So then I I tried a bunch of drugs. They were like my last ditch resort for healing myself before I would gain weight. 
and those gave me some very severe health problems that um, are still negatively impacting me in a really uh, profound way today. So I got off the drugs, but again, the side effects are, are still lasting. And then later, I finally you know, summoned the chutzpah to go ahead and gain weight and keep it on. And my period came back almost instantly and my sex drive and kind of all of it. And that was a while ago. And ever since then, my hormones have been like up and down and uh, kind of taking their time to rebalance, but they're, they're kind of, they're kind of getting there. So I am, I am in a bit of a wellness wonderland and I do eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. I, my whole life, I never imagined I would get to this point. It means that I am no longer a size double zero. Um, it means that I'm actually more like a seven ish, but I eat when I'm hungry and I stop when I'm full and I'm super healthy and I feel great about myself. And the number of people who are interested in me romantically has not decreased. As a matter of fact, it's increased because I'm happy. So that's great. I just, I, I have no complaints. It's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty awesome. You are such a positive example um, for positive body image and for eating enough and just blowing the whole diet myth out of the water. And it's, I'm so grateful for the work that, that you're doing in the world. And um, the listeners know, but or maybe not all of this, but that mirrors my story almost almost to a T. You know, I, I started with a vegan, very low-fat diet and eating very restrictive, high-raw, and it made me lose a lot of weight and be a double zero and lose my mind and my period and... Um, you know, I think that orthorexic tendency can creep up when you're dogmatic about anything, vegan, paleo, just anything, Mm -hmm. diet culture. And I think so many of us, it's a slippery, slippery slope. And it's great that, you know, we're, we're having this conversation right now to, to open people up and, and know that they're not alone. But I guess I'm curious about something, which is that I know for me, you know, the first time when I really heard that gaining weight would be the solution to healing these things I wanted to heal so badly without having to gain weight, you know, have your cake and and eat it too. Um, There's so much resistance there. And, um, you know, I, like I told you before the call, doing, doing my research, preparing for this episode and familiarizing myself with your work was like such a joy. And I, listen to so many different podcasts um, with you. And a little side note, I love how you never tell the story in the exact same way twice, and you, you're, you're really great about everything you do. But anyways, one thing that did come up um, quite frequently was, and I'm not quoting you exactly, but basically you say, you know, starving yourself to be thin is the easy way out. And the difficult thing is the right thing, which is standing up for your body and actually doing what it needs. And this brought up, um, you know, it was brought up in many podcasts because it's so important and radical and groundbreaking. And a lot of people need to hear that. And so I'd love if you could discuss that and expand on that even further. And, you know, I guess the question I have here is how do you handle or how do you suggest people hearing this for the first time handle the resistance that comes up to that knowing that okay look you've got to gain weight it's going to be scary you're going to have to figure out this self-love thing it's going to be different 
Um, so how can you bust through that resistance and do what your body needs? The resistance in your own brain? You mean your own resistance, not from the people around you, right? Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> I mean, both, of- I guess. But <laughs> ho- hopefully you don't have resistance from people around you. Well, it definitely happens from people around you. You know, people don't like change. And I, I not all of the time, you know, but friends will always encourage you, whatever. Or you're around certain yeah. gossipy influences, what have you. Okay. So the internal stuff, um, practice. I really do think a lot of it takes practice because we have, God, I have so many steps. There are so many steps I could give you. But I want to say practice first because it's it's almost like a habit that we have. You know, we have conditioned ourselves to behave and to think in in these certain ways that are incredibly negative. And I, I promise you that, you know, it, it's not going to be super easy when you get started. But the longer you do it, the more you get a hang of it. And this is very much the case for me. And I know I'm, I'm biased because I'm in my own brain. But something that I really need in my life is data from my experiences to, to prove something is true. And so I you kind of, I kind of just had to say, I'm going to do it, right? This is an experiment. I'm going to do it and I'm going to see what happens. And you do it and you find out it's not that bad. And then maybe you get a little bit nervous and you retreat, but you know that you're practicing and so you do it again. Yeah. And this is what weight gain was for me was I, you know, I actually, I put the weight on a little bit accidentally. I could have lost it all if I wanted to. I decided to keep it because I realized that the world didn't end. Like I, I had to do it and, and everything, everything still kept going forward. And people's, I know that I, I know that we all like need to believe in ourselves first and foremost, but we have to be real. Like we care about what people think of us. People still loved me. My friends still love me. My family still love me. And of course, again, because we're human beings and we can't avoid this fact, uh, the people I was interested in romantically still liked me. So that came from leaping and then practicing, right? I learned that it wasn't so bad. And the longer and longer I do it, the more and more I get used to it, it's, it's a, you're right, it's a radically different feeling. Um, so that's one thing. Of course, another thing is patience for yourself and forgiveness for yourself. We talk about self-love all the time, but I just hate, I hate so much that we're never really specific about what that means. You yeah. read all these articles that are like, eh, love yourself, you got to love yourself. And um, I just, I find that to be kind of an empty conversation because what does that actually mean? What that means is that you have to accept that you are the way you are because of things in your genes and things that have happened to you and then go forward from there and you're not going to behave perfectly and that's okay. Like <laughs> it's so funny that we're having this conversation today because I'm on like I'm on a pretty I don't have a lot of negative days but I'm on a kind of negative body image day today. I bought some new dance clothes and a bigger size than I ever have right and <clears throat> I'm glad that you're reminding me of this because like it's just we live in a really terrible world and so you need to be aware of the fact that like that's going to be that's going to always be there and you learn how to avoid it again and and the the resistance is anyway that's one other piece I could like literally Katie I could just I could keep going for hours on things you can do to fight that resistance um practical steps I for me the most important thing is making that cognitive shift you know um 
taking those steps and realizing there's not th- that there's there's actually nothing to be afraid of. You have to yeah. dare. If you think about it as an experiment and you know that you can go back. It's so funny because I tell clients all the time, I'm like, well, you can always go back to starving yourself. And right. like, it's, that's not something I'm supposed to say to people, <laughs> but it helps remove that level of fear and it, and, and it helps you feel safe enough to go ahead and try. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And having a sex drive is so nice. Just trust me on this one. Like <laughs> you're not, if you don't have a libido cause you're thin and then you gain weight and you get it back, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to want to get like super thin again. <laughs> It's interesting. Um, I think everything you shared there was really great. And I, I think that it's interesting. You've spoken about this before in, in other interviews, um, how it wasn't you've, – you've been really thin and you've been bigger and you've been in between. And the way people treated you did change, but it was because of the level of confidence that you portrayed when you were – super thin and just bringing that in regardless of the size you are um, is really powerful. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, because this is the most, this is the most important thing, right? Like it's the most important. When I got really thin, I got really confident is what it boils down to. And I, but I realized, I began to suspect that, that, the thinness wasn't the important thing. That's not why people were responding so positively to me because I noticed that when I was feeling self-conscious, people, you know, I lost the positive reactions that I had gotten so excited about getting. And I was like, hmm, okay. And so I began to sort of live into that more. And again, treating it not quite as an experiment, but treating it as something that I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm seeing some evidence that points towards this being the thing to do to get what I want (laughs) and the thing to be. But it's also, I'm, I'm really fortunate because I grew up in a, well, (laughs) not fortunate, but fortunate in this particular sense. I grew up in a highly individualistic home and stuff. And so people's, people's opinions, I always um, considered lesser than my own. <laughs> I'm pretty good at not doing that these days, but, um, but it, it sort of helped to develop a, a bit of a thicker skin. So I wasn't so afraid, but anyway, yeah, I realized that confidence was the important thing. And I am a, I'm a dancer and I spend time dancing in front of a lot of people most days of the week. And it's very it's challenging for me because in the dance world, it's more important than almost any world to look a certain way. Um, but I know without a shadow of a doubt that the way that you present yourself, people love, okay, this is something I don't think I've talked about on a podcast before. People love fearlessness. Mm -hmm. We love it so much. I really think, I kind of think that that's the reason we love celebrities so much is because they give us this um, this world into which we can like not be almost think of ourselves not being afraid because they're they appear to be so unafraid of um, things and have this confident aura and dancing is so like that you can watch a dance performance and have the technique be awesome but if the people look nervous you're going to be looking away and down at the floor because you're terrified for them. 
Like, yes. I just imagine it. I'm sure you've seen performances before where you were nervous for the people, right? Or, like, I've seen couples go up on stage and their technique was, like, pretty shitty, but they looked like they were having a blast and everybody loves them and they cheer and get standing ovations. Right. Because as human beings, we love, we love, we hate fear and we don't want to be afraid and we want to, we want to be around people who make us feel like the world isn't scary and who make us feel like we can do things and they can do things and we don't have to be worried about them. And confident people do that for us. Yeah. We just, we love the shit out of confidence. I can't, I can't express that enough. And I think that that's, that's my biggest asset as a dancer and I probably as a human being as well. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Um, my Angelou quote of people don't remember what you said or how you danced. They remember how you made them feel. And Mm -hmm. yeah, if you feel anxious, you know, people can feel that. And I, I always say, which is pretty much very similar at least to fearlessness that, um, you know, all people want from you is for you to be real, is for you to be authentic, you know, and that's basically, confidence that's basically fearlessness because when you're being real that takes courage a lot of the time um yeah so I think that if and I think that's people's biggest fear with gaining weight is losing their confidence right is um you know losing you're asking them to give up something they've gotten used to and change and like the fear is the change maybe not the weight necessarily although you know thin privilege exists and you know they our society is you know at this time favoring a certain body type unfortunately um however you know it's just it's interesting so I guess um you know since this is you know we are both are working in our lifetimes to to shift this and to to shift the body image uh, or the revered body type from being the the devil zero to being you know what is healthy for all women or most women um but i and speaking of that i would love if you could talk a little bit about the metabolic effects of not eating enough just so we kind of hit the practical there sure it's bad (laughs) (laughs) um it's complicated because different women's bodies can handle more stress than others. If you're under psychological stress, it's even, it's even harder. You know, I talk about, I talk about it like stress as a whole, like you have an equation, A plus B equals C total stress. And A is the psychological and B is the physical. And I'm sure we could add more different kinds of stress. But anyway, all stress adds up. And the female body does not like to be in a state of stress or perceived danger. And of course, psychological stress does this, and we see this all over the place with um, different primate studies. Like primates will eat the exact same diet, but the ones at the lower end of the social hierarchy will have impaired fertility. You know, because they're simply less happy, and so they their hormones work less well. So that's really important, and it happens for people too. And then the the physical side of stress is like, well, the female body really doesn't like to starve. You know, a, a male body, uh, just males. I just somebody just posted on the blog today, reminding me about like hunter gatherers, and men were hunters and women were gatherers, and that's just physiologically what we're made for. And men can go out in a hunt and run forever and not eat for a while, and they don't have to make babies, so it's fine for them to starve a little bit here and there, to fast or what have you. 
but for women it's not we make babies and if we have a baby if we get pregnant in unideal circumstances out in the wild there's a pretty good chance you'll die because your baby draws a lot of resources from you and you're both in significant danger so we have an in we have a mechanism built into our bodies that shuts down the reproductive system when our body perceives that it's in any sort of you know famine type situation so this comes from over exercising you know it's a big stress and you burn a lot of calories it comes from over exercising it comes from under eating it comes from being overly restrictive with fat or carbohydrates like your body wants calories in it so when it doesn't get them it shuts down the reproductive system and you might think that that like just affects your ovaries but it doesn't you know estrogen and progesterone receptors are in all of like all cells right and um it has huge effects down the line like you talked about your mental health right that's huge estrogen and progesterone are huge for your mental health in the brain and for your sleep and your skin quality there are like estrogen is necessary to have nice skin and if you don't have any estrogen you're gonna have a lot of acne like period so that's basically how it works and you lose your fertility um your thyroid function will slow down you you can make it much harder for you to stay a healthy weight throughout the rest of your life. You know, you might be able to stay super restrictive right now, but if you have like the longer you restrict, like the harder it's going to be for the rest of your life to stay a healthy size. Um, your skin quality can deteriorate mental health, libido. It's, it's a pretty long list. Yikes. Not good. Um, and not talked about enough. So I'm glad that, that we were able to address that. Could you, um, speak about amenorrhea and um, people who have lost their period due to over-exercising, under-eating for a long period of time and some of the um, negative consequences of that and other than gaining weight, um, not other than, but how gaining weight is the the biggest um, thing that you saw in your experience to, to help heal that and anything else around that particular hormonal issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so amenorrhea is basically the whole stress thing I was just talking about. Uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea is when the hypothalamus, the command, the like hormone command center of your brain, when it tells everything else to shut down. So you lose your period, which means you lose your fertility, which means your skin is subject, your mental health is subject, all these things are subject to risk, right? So there's that. And a lot of women experience it, Um, a lot of thin women and a lot of athletic women, there's another piece to it, right? So your body needs to feel fed and your hypothalamus hears those signals. And one way it does so is by gauging the level of leptin, a hormone in your blood. And leptin is produced by fat cells. If you don't have enough fat cells, you don't have enough leptin, and your body's like, oh, shit, okay, we're shutting it down. And that's basically how it goes. And, of course, the longer you do this, the more your body is kind of like, what's going on? Like, I'm really feeling a famine here. <laughs> like, you're getting really skinny. So the longer you do it, the, you know, the um, harsher the, ex- the symptoms you experience are. You know, your thyroid will keep slowing down and all that stuff. Um, And of course, exercise is a big part of that because exercise takes calories. And if you don't refuel enough or if you don't de-stress and relax enough afterwards, then that can be a really big deal. So 
lots of women from being too thin. They uh, another word for this is female athletic triad syndrome. So another four words, <laughs> but the triad is um, being super thin, exercising too much, and eating too little. And those are the three things that that sort of cause this situation. So. I, of course, was in this situation. I had polycystic ovaries at the same time because contrary to what doctors talk about, it's possible to have both hypothalamic amenorrhea and cystic ovaries at the same time, a topic for another time perhaps. But um, but anyway, for me, uh, weight gain was super important. Um, it's funny because I had, I experienced a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of sleeping issues and I experienced a lot of anxiety worrying that my state of a state of poor health and partially from my poor sleep was what was causing me to be a menorrheic and to not menstruate and all of those things. And then in the most stressful 50 days of my life, like the most, I slept three and a half hours every night for 57 days, which is no small feat. Um, I had a lot of work to do (laughs) and you were finishing um, your book, right? Um, I was cop, I was writing a master's thesis, um, from start to finish and then finishing the book. And I was also taking, um, a full load of classes. Um, Yes. So triad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in this time period, I slept three and a half hours a night and I ate poorly. I mean, for me, eating poorly is like I had oats a couple times. Like I didn't eat terribly, but I wasn't trying really hard to eat like the most super perfect paleo diet. And um, but I also like I needed food to keep me awake because I can't I can't do caffeine. It gives me migraines. So I needed food to keep me awake and it dropped to very low on my list of priorities, you know, staying thin. And I put on, uh, I thought it was a ton of weight back then. When I look back now, I realize it still wasn't all that much, (laughs) but I put on like 10 pounds and my period started like the, you know, the next week. And I was like, Oh, it was actually just my body fat percentage period because I was super stressed and unhappy and, um, not eating very well. And I got my period back just from eating more. It's kind of great that you went through that, not that you, you know, I'm sorry, you had to have a stressful period of time, but it's great that that is the way that you figured it out so you can teach this and mm-hmm. we have that lesson and from that experiment on yourself. Sorry yeah. to interrupt, but. No, 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 you're absolutely, no, you weren't interrupting. That's, that's a perfect segue. I'm really glad too, um, because if I didn't have such concrete data about it, it would, it would be tempting <laughs> it would be tempting. It would be tempting to try and play with that. Blame you know? it on stress. Yeah. Exactly. Or something. And I just, I, I really like clean data. It's very satisfying to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting. So the next thing I want to kind of ask you about is intuitive eating and, and why that's an important for women and and how that can be a big challenge. And, and I've heard you say before that it was a big challenge for you when you got started. But um, my big question on this, which I hope I can articulate this with, with what I mean. But so, for instance, when you were in that um, period of time that you were just talking about, where you were using food to stay up 
um, and stuff like that. So right. that's not necessarily intuitive eating. Like maybe you weren't following your hunger signals to a T, which I think is great. And I think that, um, you know, something that, that my mentor, um, Isabel Fox and Duke, calls the hunger and fullness diet, which, you know, is following intuitive eating so much that you're making it another diet, which, you know, even normal oh, eaters okay. don't follow their hunger and fullness signals all of the time, right? You know, they eat birthday cake and they enjoy life and, and things like that. So um, my question is, you know, especially in the space of undereating and amenorrheic amenorrheic people and people who may be underweight or may be on the orthorexic end, we'll call it, or things like that. Do you think um, that sometimes intuitive eating is something that you can't follow all the time? Or as women, when we need to keep more body fat on our bodies, do you think it's important to sometimes not listen to those hunger signals and fill yourself more than um, what you're used to. And I think you've talked about that before too. Yeah, not a whole lot. I think this is really smart. People don't talk about this often. Yeah. It's like eat intuitively. And I think it's kind of assumed that, well, if you mean into, okay, so you could actually mean intuitively two different ways, right? You could mean like doing exactly what my body says it wants all of the time, which right. I, you know, I guess kind of makes sense, but also you could mean you could include in that doing what my body wants and sort of what I feel like, yeah. which I think is sort of what your mentor means. What she's going for is like my body. I, I like to listen to my body, but also like stuff comes up sometimes and that's fine. Yeah. And I think just to kind of make this clear, you know, for people listening is it, she thinks of this, and, and I do as well, it's kind of like a board of directors. Like you've got your body to listen to sometimes, and you've got your mind to listen to sometimes, and they're both right, and they're both great. And sometimes you'll listen to your body, and your body wins, and sometimes your mind wins, and sometimes they both want the, the salad, or they both want the, you know, the same thing, which is great. You know, it's just like the whole family choosing the same movie. You know, it's great when that happens, but it doesn't happen all the time, and like that's okay. You know, I think is kind mm -hmm. of the, the issue there. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. Definitely a board of directors. And it's totally true. You're right. Some women, oh, well, God, like the whole eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full thing. It's terrible advice to give to people because normal eaters, like they get it. When, uh, when I say to my little brother, like I, if I ask him about his appetite, he's like, I don't know. Like I can't eat anymore. I don't right. know. A, like disordered eater or whatever who would be able to say like I can't eat anymore yeah. after after like eating some food if you if you haven't always been in that cycle of whatever normal eating is and I know I personally haven't and I am definitely still not right like if you don't have that then the advice to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full is completely meaningless because you're like ah, what is hungry and what is full yeah it's like a breaker switch has been turned off, and we might have had that at some point, but we don't anymore after all the dieting and ignoring the signals. Exactly, exactly. And I, so, I, I, I'm not really certain how to how to get those back. I got to be honest with you. That one personally in my life, I haven't figured out yet. I know a lot of advice that people give online, um, but that means that for me, the journey 
to like figure out like as best for me what means hungry and as best for me means full took a really long time and the signals are very subtle i think other people's are a lot stronger and the detection of fullness is is hungry i I get now i'm like all right i get to eat (laughs) i'll take that um fullness is harder and um and so yeah so it's complicated and I don't remember why we're telling people about eating intuitively. <laughs> I don't remember how how far back the question went, but the point is that like for for disordered eaters like hungry and full, oh, the brain needs to be involved in the decision making mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, and that's mm. that's, that's true point. Yeah. But you you can't you can't do it without the brain. And so these women who are coming from a place of, you know, like I'm going to eat six pieces of broccoli and then ta-da, I'm done. <laughs> like it's um you're you're gonna have to use your brain to tell yourself to eat more right right i think and, yeah go ahead. no 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 go ahead no <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know what i was gonna say i think just you know i think hunger directed eating is is great in a lot of ways but i i i'm really at the point where i feel that in a lot of ways i'm not eating enough if I'm mm-hmm. truly following eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, and I'm not listening to my mind of, oh, well, I mm-hmm. kind of just want that. You know, like I'm full, I eat dinner, but I kind of just want to eat a little something else. Like I think that that is important to be the the proper weight that, that you want to be and I th- or that you're not that you want to be at all, actually, that your body wants to be. And um, – and yeah, you know, that's something that, that I've, I've toyed with in my life. And um, because, you know, feeling over full or feeling full just in general, like a normal amount, isn't um, a great feeling for people who have been restricting themselves from that for a really long time. And it's scary. Yeah, it's scary. And you, and you don't want to feel it because there's so much judgment around that. Like when a normal mm-hmm. eater is full, they're just full and they just, oh, I just ate a lot of food. But when a chronic dieter or a chronic person who's been dogmatic or disordered eating at all is full or over full, God forbid, right? Like if that's mm-hmm. the case, there's so much self-judgment and self-criticism for that choice because you can physically feel it. And... um you know, that it's the beating yourself up that's the problem, not the feeling of being full. And, um, you know, I think for, for you, you've spoken about this before, which was a huge shift for me. A lot of people say, like, eat until you're about 90% full, or I think, I don't know, like, less than oh, that whatever. even. whatever, like 60, yeah. they say 60. Yeah, and you, oh. you really blew the top off of that for me. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because I was actually I was going to talk about this whether you asked me to or not. Anyway, yeah, so <laughs> reading your mind, <laughs> I I remember so clearly. I will never forget a moment I had in college when I was talking to my friend Sophie. You mention and, her a lot in podcasts. <laughs> do I? That's funny. Yeah. She was well. I don't have a lot of friends, so. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, I have some new ones though, so maybe I'll talk about them someday. Okay. Uh, <laughs> God, I'm hopeless. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I, I expressed to her that I, 
she was expressing concern over my my size because I had lost a lot of weight and it bothered me that she was expressing concern, but whatever. Um, I People kept saying, eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. And I, because I hadn't known what that meant, I thought I needed to feel like this physical gnawing hunger in my stomach every time before I ate. And she, I, she just was like, no, I just, I just, sometimes I kind of feel like it. So I eat. Yeah. And I thought, well, one of us has got to be wrong. <laughs> but nowadays, I, I understand that um, a little bit better. And so that's kind of related to this whole eat until you're X percent full thing. Like our baseline for existing should be always kind of hungry. Like, what is that? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that that I need to feel this gnawing hunger before I eat and then when I eat I can only eat 60% of what my pituitary and gland and thyroid gland and hypothalamus are asking me to eat that's what is that yeah. I just I don't I don't get it and whatever that's supposed to be like the Okinawan secret to them living forever mm, that's I would that's really I would really really love to like what did somebody say to me once eat like a pine cone a day and then live to 120 and then everybody in the world is going to be eating pine cones. Right, right. Right. And so, um, and also, okay, so the eating until you're 60% full thing, that could work for guys, that can work for older people like women who are post-reproductive age. But everybody's cure is not the same. I can't tell you how many clients I get who are like, but I listen to Dave Asprey's podcast and he says that if I don't do bulletproof coffee, I'm going to die <laughs> early. And I'm like, well, that certainly helps him sell a lot of bulletproof coffee. Right? Doesn't it? <laughs> wow. That was a really horrible thing for me to say on air, but I mean, but true. And I'm not saying that that's why he's doing it. He sells bulletproof coffee because he right, believes in it. Right. Right. Obviously. It's a good guy, but that person's specific cure, this, you know, really overweight dude who hasn't moved in 10 years like that's his cure but that's not mine Mm -hmm. you know we all all of our bodies go out of balance in some particular way they're all hurt by our terrible western things about food in some specific way and we need to pay attention to the specific kind of healing we need and as women and if we're women who have come from restrictive backgrounds our specific kind of healing is not eating until my, we're 60% full. It's eating until we're 100% full and sometimes 150. Yeah. That or what I preach. Yeah, that is so spot on and so, again, not talked about enough slash at all. And, you know, the point you were making there that I want to highlight is that not one diet, not one blog, not one book is – for everyone and the people who write them all have great intentions but they're just sharing their experience and their truth and that's great that it helped them and that's great that they want to help people but they can't necessarily right they you Mm -hmm. can use different things and, and be inspired sure but I I just love that and I think you know to kind of bring this conversation of intuitive eating home and just really kind of sum it up the the piece that you've talked about before is just that, you know, whatever food choice you make, not using mental energy to beat yourself up for that. Just going with it and standing with that choice and knowing that you made the best choice for your body regardless. Oh my, like how, 
how much mental energy do you think has been like wasted on the planet for us oh, like, I can't women even. beating ourselves oh up? God. Like, um, I know. I, like I can't even. It's crazy. God, just it because it's taxing and it's and it takes it actually takes time. <laughs> like yeah. it actually takes mental yep. time. Thinking takes time. We could be coming up with so many good ideas and doing so many. Oh my god! I just I can't. I don't like to say this, but I can't even. <laughs> yeah, same. I know. Um, it, it's so true. I mean, I think that I could have, like, cured cancer, like, written 8,000 books and recorded 10 billion podcasts and done so many things with the mental bandwidth that I used to use for thinking about food and my weight and beating myself up and, and all of that crap. You know, it's just – it's silly. Mm-hmm. So – it's yeah. I'm I'm very very happy that we're having this conversation and hopefully can pop people's tops off so they can start doing real good in the world and not using their minds to to think about this stuff. <laughs> no, that isn't to say that you're not already doing real good in the world, right. ladies. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I I couldn't. I'm. Uh, I couldn't yeah. agree more. So I I want to talk. You know, before we shift out of food, um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about where you are um, with food and with eating currently because um, I've, I've heard you kind of allude to in, in previous interviews that you don't consider yourself a cook and, um, ha- and I am the same way. Like I used to cook a lot out of necessity of being restrictive with my diet and wanting to eat a certain way and not being mm. able to like buy the perfectly made meal that I wanted so I'd have to make it myself. And um, and so I would love to talk about the balance between feeding yourself health- healthfully and fast and with ease um, and and kind of how you handle that that particular struggle. I'm in the the process of finishing book my book right now and as you know, you know the 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 time thing is is an issue and also I'm just not I'm not a chef and I don't have any desire to be. And so um how do you handle not being a cook but wanting fast good prepared meals but also, you know, want, not wanting to go through the drive-through either? Like what are some how do you kind of feed yourself now? I don't know if anybody is going to want to eat the way that I eat, (laughs) but I'll go ahead and share anyway. It's not that I don't enjoy cooking per se, but I just, whatever. I prefer to spend my time doing other things. Same. And, um, yeah, so, um, I don't, I, I do all my own food. Like I don't eat out pretty much ever. And I would, and I would have like the things that American culture makes from time to time, but, um, soy and dairy give me acne and foods with pota- with high potassium in them give me heart palpitations. So I've got like a really limited thing going on. So I do make all my own food. <clears throat> um, I buy a lot of produce. I can't tell you how much produce I eat. And it's fortunate that I live like a 10-minute walk from both a Trader Joe's and a Whole Foods. Nice. So um, well, I never go to the Whole Foods, but uh, but I do spend a lot of time at the Trader Joe's. Um, and I would say that I, I've, I don't know, I probably eat like 30 or 40 pounds of produce a week, maybe. Um, anyway, I buy a ton of produce and I eat it. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, I, I, I hope that we don't find out someday that microwaves like cause cancer because I cook almost all my food in the microwave. It's so fast. 
Um, generally what I do is every other day I cook a pound of uh, ground beef and that'll last me for two days. Like that's my protein for a day, two days, a day and a half maybe. And, um, lean stuff normally and that increases the protein content. So I do that and then um, I have some veggies are pretty good and low in potassium. So I eat a lot of squash and um, a lot of asparagus and cauliflower and salad greens from time to time. And I make those when I servings of those, like if I cut them up and put them in the microwave, it takes three minutes and I don't have to clean any pots and pans. It's just a huge time saver. Um, and as a matter of fact, because I care about the environment so much, I just eat out of one bowl all the time and clean it every once in a while, but it's my like own bowl and I, whatever. So it's okay that it's like kind of dirty with my own food, but I really care about, um, saving water and stuff. So I do that and I have a ton of fruit and that I eat whole. So that's kind of it. Um, I really, really enjoy unwinding at the end of the day with an episode of I, – I watch a lot of TV shows, actually. <laughs> um, I, I really like to you. unwind. What? I love Say, that about you. Th- uh, thank you. You know, I <laughs> for a lot of my life, I thought I was better than a lot of things. I was better than pop music. I was better than TV. I was, like, you know, too important for stuff. And then I thought, who the hell do you think you are? And um, and why not? Like, why not love the things that are easy to love? So anyway, I watch like, yeah, I watch pretty bad TV. Not the worst, but, you know. What um, are some of your favorite shows? Oh, my God. Let me let me <laughs> make a list for you. Currently running. Uh, I want to like I want to like tell you the shows that I think people will respect me the most for. I watched all <laughs> no, seven be real, be real. Of the West Wing. I watched the West Wing in like three weeks, and that was that's like I don't know 192 hours. Wow. I did that once. Yeah, I did that one time. We got to add that to your bio. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I used to have Parks and Rec in my bio. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I because I have a lot of heroes in that show. I think Leslie and Ron are big heroes. Um. What else do I watch? I watch a lot of shows. I, I swear to God, I, I probably maintain like 10 or 11 shows. Um, I watch Castle. I watch Bones. I watch Scorpion. I watch Elementary. Oh, that's a good one. I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I watch Modern Family. I watch all the funny ones. I watch all those funny ones. Um, the I mini project. Okay. Oh, my God. I, I watch I watched Jon Stewart, of course. Um, <laughs> of course. I love South Park. Um, of course, so many, I, I do, I watch a lot of TV and, um, anyway, all of which is to say my like eating habits are not what you would necessarily expect. You know, um, I eat a lot of fruit and a lot of people say fructose is terrible for you, but I'm pretty healthy. And there are hunter gatherer tribes that eat a lot of fruit and they're fine (laughs) and it feels good. And why not? You only live once, right? And I eat super late at night and that's because I dance from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And then I come home and I'm hungry and I eat and why not? And then I eat when I wake up and then I often go back to sleep and I eat when I wake up again. Um, But it works for me and it's not super easy to find the pattern that works for you. But um, if you just try to like balance the body thing with the mind thing 
you know, um, listen to your body and then let yourself know that that's really important data to listen to, but then exercise your executive control with your prefrontal cortex. And you can, I think, come to like a reasonably intuitive and psychologically satisfying way of eating. I love that. That's amazing. And and something that I, I stress um, to the people I work with and, and just in general is, you know, like I said before, like the the books and the, the diet books written, um, they were written for one person. And I think creating the Stephanie diet and the Katie diet is great. You know, it's creating custom curated diet for you and your lifestyle. And for Stephanie, that's different than it is for me and it's different than it is for you. But it's if you're truly creating it with integrity for your desires and following your pleasure and your senses and your body all together, you know, mm-hmm. like that board of directors, um, that's a really beautiful thing. And, you know, hearing what Stephanie does is great for inspiration, but it's not like everyone has to, you know, eat that way or eat how I eat. It's just interesting to hear how people do it. And then to, and I think that the the piece for people to take away from the way that you eat is – um, and they can take away whatever they want to take away. But I think the the best part is that it's so personal to you and it works in your lifestyle and you're not following any one particular person. You're just figuring out what works for you. And, and I do the same thing and I love that. Um, I think it's really Thank helpful. You. Yeah. So um, I, I want to touch on your relationship with exercise and exercise um, for women in general and how dance in particular has been so beneficial for you and and your body image and kind of how that whole transition with exercise occurred for you. God, you really know the way to my heart, don't you? You're asking about TV. You're asking about dance. Next, you're going to ask me about my dissertation. My, I did my homework. So. <laughs> um. No, next you're going to ask me about masturbating or something. Um, so it's I'm sitting in a workout room right now, so that's ironic. Um, I used to work out a lot, um, a lot. Lifting weights, sprinting, all this stuff. And it's good for you. It's great for you. I know. It is. Again, but uh, like what is it that we're chasing here with anything? And is how much fitness is necessary for being healthy – and I don't, we tend to equate like extreme fitness with extreme health, but that's not true. You need to be fit enough, but being like a super athlete, for example, is not going to make you live until you're 120. I think what's going to make you live until you're 120 is being really happy and having a purpose. Yes. To be fair. Like I, I believe in being healthy for the sake of having a good life. And for the sake of enabling me to do awesome things for the planet and whatever, have fun while I'm doing it. So um, my relationship with exercise is that, like, I used to just make myself do it. And I can't tell you, I could probably, it's such a small number, the number of times I did, like, a super hard workout because I felt like it. <laughs> right. Does anyone, but, honestly, <laughs> I feel like that that's just, if people say they are doing it because they feel like it. They're doing it because they feel like they want to feel after they do it, you know? Yeah, and I got to be honest with you. It feels it's I, – I, here I am. I'll probably 
make a lot of people angry. It feels incredibly selfish to me. Like, yeah, I agree. I, I, I I just like, we have every human being has a limited amount of strength and limited amount of willpower. And I understand that exercising them makes them stronger and can make you more capable. But I am like, so over like willpower for the sake of me being fit so I can impress people and and or me being fit so I can feel fit like that's fine but I have willpower and I want to use it for things like saving the planet you know I I wrote a post and I keep meaning to submit it to a journal and I'm just not doing it but like I I don't I honestly don't want to be a perfect looking human being like because I want I want to look like the best version of myself and the best version of myself has other priorities. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. There's this great um, Huffington Post article I, I linked to the other day and it, the title is um, your body is not your masterpiece. Your life is. And yeah. I, I think now, you know, I don't really necessarily only love my body. I love my life as a whole. And my body's just a part of that. And I think, you know, the more beautiful your life can become, the more beautiful you'll you'll see your body. So I just wanted to interject that. No, that's such a good way to put it. And that's such a shame because that's the perfect title. And I should have used that for my title and published it. It's it's such a good title. We probably wrote the same article. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. There's a lot of people on earth who need that message. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Right. So um, I know I tend to think that once something's been said once, nobody has to say it again. So I like, no, whatever. no, it's been really terrible that, for my academic career. <laughs> no. And I, I think it's the opposite. I think, um, you know, spirituality or health information or what have you, I think that and I say this analogy all the time, like, it's kind of like Mexican food, right? Like, some people like tacos, some people like nachos, some people like burritos, but at the end of the day, they're all saying the same thing, or it's all beans and cheese and rice. It's like, you know, (laughs) but some people come to it through Stephanie, some people come to it through me, and it doesn't really matter as long as they get the nutrients from the stuff, you know? Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. So anyway, I I'm gonna go ahead and talk about dance. I Yeah, sorry, we've gotten <laughs> off track, but I think it was okay. <laughs> um so I dance and a part of me feels a little bit terrible because it's it's very selfish, but it makes me a better person and I honestly okay, going to um not like a thumping like hip hop club, I mean you could do that, but if you go to a um, a place where people say salsa dance, for example, or West Coast swing or anything, you go in those rooms and there's a hundred or 200 people in them and they're all like laughing and smiling the whole time. You know, it's just, they're very joyous places. And so anyway, I dance and it's, uh, it's my spiritual world. It's a very spiritual thing for me. And, um, it just, I, <laughs> it puts me in my body in a way that I'm not in the rest of my life because I'm a very heady kind of person. Um, but it's uh, it is it's turning off the switch and letting myself be and doing what my body feels like. And something takes over that's not something. It's my body or my intuition or whatever. The music, my feelings, that stuff takes over. And all the horrible crap about the crap gets turned off. Now, if I go into dancing and I'm feeling self-conscious, it doesn't get turned off. 
if I go into dancing and I'm feeling worried about the way I look, it doesn't get turned off and I don't get to have the wonderful spiritual experience that I'm looking for. But if I go into it feeling like good and confident and yeah, it's, it's unfair because technically I'm a pretty skilled dancer, you know, but like, I really do believe that we can all just go feel good about ourselves and let go and I get to move. And that's pretty much the only exercise I do these days. Like I lift weights because I know how, I know how good that is for me and it feels kind of good from time to time. So I do that, but I never, I never force myself. I never force myself to move now. Like if my body wants it, it'll ask me to move. I, I just, I don't want to exercise willpower in that way anymore. And I instead, I choose to do something that I love so much that I can't wait to do it. Like I, I couldn't, I didn't have an opportunity to go dancing today and it's just like, it's killing me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I, I feel like as human beings, when we move, we should do it because it's the, it's something that makes us come alive, you know? That's beautiful and then tweetable and I I want that. I want to learn to dance or I want to have something that I actually look forward to doing in the way that you look forward to dance. It's really, really inspiring to hear you talk about it because you light up when you talk about it. And I wish for myself and everyone listening to find something that lights us up in that same way. Mm, yeah, I, I firmly believe I firmly believe it's out there. I'm going to tell you it's probably dance, but that's just me being. (laughs) Um, There are so many good things that I know that people really, you know, really love. Well, you make me want to learn to to dance. I'm a terrible dancer, but I want to do it now because it sounds so fun. Come to Paleo Effects. I'll take you out dancing. Last year, I said I promised myself I wasn't going to dance, and I ended up going out every single night. So. I've heard you say that in a bunch of podcasts, and I've also heard about this this paleo thing, and I had never heard of it before. But every time I hear an interview of you, it like comes up, and so I'm intrigued. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I mean, Paleo Effects is just – it's all the paleo people get together, and we hang out and network and – it's a it's wonderful for coming up with projects to do with people, but also like spreading the good word and yeah. having fun. It's really great. That's super cool. Um, I'm new to the the paleo sphere. I've you know I I don't I'm not one particular diet of anything. I'm the I'm on the Katie diet. Yay. But, yeah, but um, but it was it's interesting you know finding people from all different communities to be inspired by and. It's intriguing for sure. So the the next thing I really just want to touch on um, before we wrap up with some quick fire questions is really shifting gears to spirituality a bit. And you're a scholar of philosophy. And I would just love to dialogue about some topics in that area, including um, the one that I've heard you speak about before and, and maybe some new stuff you want to share too, but something that is just so intriguing to me that I would love to at least touch on is the religious um, background in fasting and vegetarianism, particularly for women and kind of the history of that and how we've kind of developed into this restrictive culture um, from our history. And could you kind of, you'll explain that better than I did, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. So I've never, (laughs) I've never studied this academically. I have no idea what other people say about it. I just sort of of thought it up and guessed it was true. Um, I do know uh, from 
a little bit of work I've done in the medieval period that uh, it was a very uh, fasting became a big deal for women several hundred years ago. Um, you know, way back then, <clears throat> and I actually, I, I don't discuss this in great deal in the book or anything, but my book, one of my books, men were the religious actors in, in the medieval, in medieval Europe. And women didn't really get to do much of anything. And one thing men began to do was mimic the life of Christ, right? They really wanted to like be with Jesus by mimicking his life. And one way of doing that was to be ascetic in certain ways or to, I, they did it in all different sorts of ways. You could go out and be a monk or whatever. One, but one thing women could control was their food intake. So a lot of women ended up fasting to become like spiritually pure so they could be in relationship with Jesus and be a good person and all that sort of stuff. They really didn't have control over anything else. What else could they do? They didn't even have control of their time, but they could control how much food they put in their bodies. So that started, I don't 1100, you know, it started almost a thousand years ago and it's sort of been with us ever since. Um, as it changed forms, of course, but we began to very closely associate the purity of women fasting, you know, with this, like, whatever, thin body with, with goodness and vegetarianism, right? Women would give up meat. And there's also always been historically this association of the feminine with the earthly, which, unfortunately, sometimes it was glorified, but usually it was demonized, right? Women were sexual beings and seductresses and like earthy in this sort of like whatever mother earth sort of way and that's a bad thing and ergo they need to like do something to purify themselves and food was a way to do that so that sort of stuck with us and then other things that i talk about are like the puritans right we talk about how the puritans came to america and ta-da like happy religious freedom but actually like the puritans lives really sucked like, like they banned festivals on holidays. They came here because they wanted to be like super aesthetic, super deprived, drab people, right? They didn't wear fun colors. They were, you know, whatever. They didn't have fun. That's what they're called, Puritans. And that's, that's like America's hero story, origin story. And it stuck with us. And uh, the American culture is really loves the go-getter and discipline and willpower and you know as much as we have these gluttonous things and as much as americans love to overindulge and stuff you know we always people tend to really love the thing that is rare right and so the more and more these gluttonous type things or whatever right the more and more the treats come up the more and more we're obsessed with this disciplined ideal that is the opposite of that right and and so we have sort of all of these different things and there's so many more coming together to create this culture in which women are trying to achieve purity by restricting themselves and we're surrounded by goods that taunt us otherwise and you're even better if you can say no and like keep being the skinny, pure vegetarian woman of a sorts. If that makes any sense. Totally makes sense. And I loved that you shared that because it's 
really interesting. Is there anything else that you can share um, with kind of where you're at with your philosophy now and um, just kind of your some of your maybe spiritual perspectives that are important to you? I know it's like a huge, big conversation and big, huge question. Oh my god, I don't want I don't want to bore your audience to tears. Um, no, so we love this. <laughs> I love this. So. Okay, so the stuff that I work on comes from a very personal and important place for me. Um, I grew up without religion. I grew up in an atheistic home, and I really wanted to make meaning. And I tried with science and like being a scientist. I worked in a lab for a while and that was okay, but I didn't actually get to like address the meaning. All which is to say that I was like, oh, the religious people are talking about meaning. I'm going to go talk to them. And I was like, oh my God, they have some points. And so now what I specialize in is technically called like religion and science. And I bring, I sort of talk about similarities, but also most importantly, what I'm working on is um, ways in which people can think about the world deeply, profoundly, spiritually, whatever, without being explicitly religious in ways that we can have religious things like being saved, for example, without having a particular supernatural savior. So I have proposals in the works to do those things in, in doctorate programs. And I'm actually on my way. I'm, um, I'm going to Europe next week to yeah. interview at some different programs. So that's pretty exciting. But so anyway... Exciting. Yeah, thank you. It's very, this is actually very important to me, like the existential situation of the human being. And that's, this is what I spend most of my time thinking about is like, <laughs> the universe is big. Like, where does it come from? What does it all mean? What's the story? Right? Like, I just, I obsess over those sorts of things and different ways that people address them. You know, there's so many of them. And the more that you learn, you know, it's almost like you end up, you don't, pick a theory of the universe because there's so many but you kind of learn all of them and realize that there's it's just the more you know the more you don't know yeah you know and so yeah. it's just it's it's really wonderful something I do believe strongly and that I talk about um, in my work as a health something is the idea that like human beings are actually like inherently I would say we're inherently religious beings because there is a world and we try to make sense of it and we tend to make sense of things in groups. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if religion is where, where, where people act in groups, but we really need to situate ourselves in the right context. This is like the thesis of my dissertation work. Like we need as human beings to think about ourselves, like tell the story of our lives within the wider story of things. I think that's really important. And that has so much to do with my perspective on the way that you live and the way that you eat. Because like I said earlier, like my, it was like, it's, it's like you said, right? The thing about your life being your masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And I will never, you know, sometimes I might be tempted to get really thin again because it would be easy but the right thing to do is is for the sake of all the young girls out there, right? It's it's for me to be comfortable in my body at its natural size. So it's um, I'm trying like it's that's me trying to tell my story in terms of like the arc of humankind or something like that. I think it's very important that we um, 
be spiritual, at least in that way. Yeah, it's, I could talk about this all day as well. I just posted something on Instagram a couple of days ago that said, I just want to sit on countertops and talk about the universe with you. <laughs> and that's, that's how I feel. I, I could talk about this stuff all day. And I think I agree that, that humans definitely gravitate towards religion and Again, my my mentor, who I, I keep referring to, says that religion exists and spirituality exists as a way for people to cope with the fact that everything is out of our control, right? And mm, we have mm-hmm. all different coping mechanisms, right? We have drugs and overeating and sex and people use all of those and religion is a like really good healthy coping mechanism of this great Mm -hmm. mystery that everything is not in our control like nothing is in our control we have free will but other than in the present moment that's the only time that that free will exists everything else is is out of our control so it's it's really interesting to have these conversations and to in, in my work is helping people have a spiritual connection of their own understanding, whatever that mm. that means to them. And I think that that's um, really powerful. So I love every aspect of your work from the health stuff to the dance to the spirituality. It's just all so juicy and good. And I want to have you back and talk to you forever. But can we wrap up with some quick fire questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, um, just say the first thing or a couple things that come to your mind. So favorite color? Orange. Favorite day of the week? Oh, Monday. Favorite hour of the day? 4 to 7 a.m. Favorite vegetable? <laughs> oh, boy. That's a tough one. Um, cauliflower. Favorite fruit? Mangoes. What are what is kind of like your morning routine and maybe the first few things you do when you wake up in the morning that impacts how the rest of your day goes? <laughs> this is a long answer. Um, I am incapable, like physically, my body, I have a problem with my kidneys. I can't sleep more than four hours at a time. So I sleep, I wake up and eat, and then I go back to sleep. And so that's like my morning thing is I wake up and I have a meal and I either, if I have free time, I watch some TV or um, I do a little bit of work and then I go back to sleep for three hours. Oh, cool. Interesting. So, yeah. Uh, uh, it's actually <laughs> pretty terrible, but also kind of cool. So Yeah. You, you made it work for you, which is awesome. Um, yeah. What are you most excited about in your life right now? Ah, oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'm moving to Spain in two weeks. So Yay. that's pretty cool. I, I don't love know. Spain. I, I studied abroad there. Yeah, I'm going to be in Sevilla. So um, cool. That's kind of exciting. I don't know. There's a lot. I just love to dance. I can't. I don't know. And people in my family are happy. That's exciting, too. Yay. I don't, there's a lot of stuff. That's so amazing. I'm so happy for yeah. you. What's your favorite part of being an entrepreneur and being able to design your life? (laughs) I don't have a boss. Well, it's funny. My, I'm my boss, obviously. And my friends always tell me that my boss is such a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but, (laughs) 
uh, that's it is hard because you have to stop yourself from working too much. Yeah. But um, I yeah, I, 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 I get to dance until 3 a.m. every night. So I think that's that's pretty high on the list, you know, like, yeah, I you set you your own time. Yeah, I of love course. <laughs> when do you hear your intuition the loudest and how do you remember to follow that voice? Huh. When do I hear my intuition the loudest? How do I remember to follow that voice? I really struggle with the concept of intuition. It's funny. Every single one of these questions I wanted to talk for like 10 minutes. I even know. Like, I know. I, I, want, want, I want, want you to. <laughs> I love the color orange so much. Okay. Intuition. <laughs> I, uh, that's such a good question. I, I want to say that I actually, I, I don't know how to answer that question because I don't see my intuition as separate from the rest of me. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pass. It's complicated. We could talk for a long time, but next, next time. we'll short. put that one on for next time. <laughs> What's the biggest women's health misconception you're constantly clearing up for people? Mm, carbohydrates. Nobody like, you know, women think they should be on low carb diets and that's not necessarily true. What's one um, practical self-care action you take for yourself every day or most days? Hmm. You know, that's another thing. Like there's so much out there in the world teaching people how to like take care of themselves and do like self-love things. And I just, it's more, it's a, it's a, it's a background thing for me these days, you know, like I don't have to actively try to make myself feel good about myself. It's just there. So I can't, I can say, I don't, I don't, maybe this is a negative thing. I used to wake up every morning and like pinch the fat on my stomach right away. And I, I still probably, I still probably do that a fair bit, but I don't like, I will not let myself stand there in the mirror and like look at myself and hate it. Like that's, that's a no, like I I don't scrutinize anymore. I just put on clothes and go do stuff. That's amazing. So powerful. Okay, next one is a little scenario. So it's the evening or whatever time and you just get home from a long day and you're tired but hungry and you want to make something quick. What do you eat slash make? Um, What's your go-to staple thing? Uh, well... If I hadn't eaten protein in a long time, I'm going to need it and I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to make an animal. But my go-to food is apples. Like, no question. They're, I love apples too. I freeze them. Here's a here's a tip. The texture of apples is so fun when they're frozen. Ooh. Freeze your apples. It's fun. Yeah. That sounds really fun, but a little bit not so much when it's super cold. But Yeah, that's a little challenging. It yeah. is. Yeah. Great for the summer. It's a great way to keep cool. Yeah, I love that. Um, what's your favorite thing to have for breakfast? <clears throat> Apples. Apples. <laughs> <laughs> That's mine. <laughs> and like, I mean, I have vegetables and an apple or a different fruit and and beef for just about every meal. That's what I do. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Do what is the? This is another food related question. What is the best thing you've eaten in the last month? 
Mm. Tastiest. Well, this is tough because we just did the holidays. Right. Um, <laughs> apples. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So I had like the crumbs of a upside down pineapple cake Ooh. at Christmas. And I know that that's like not a gourmet thing and it's like a crappy dessert thing. But it was – it's been a very long time since I've had any amount of a crappy dessert thing. So that was pretty cool. Yum. What's your favorite on-the-go snack if you are on-the-go? Um, <clears throat> I will take a small jar of coconut butter with me if I need fat or a can of salmon or an apple. Those are the things. <laughs> I love it. Um, what is a superhero power you would like to have for a day? Oh, crap. <sighs> Do you know how many awesome superhero powers I could come up with? Like, okay, obviously we all want to fly, but I dance, so it's kind of like flying. Aww. But I want to fly, but, but it is. Um, the only people I think who, like, also get to say that they do flying are, like, figure skaters or trapeze artists. Yeah. Um, uh, but that feels very selfish because if it's a superhero power, I could, like, really go big or go home. Like, um like food could come out of my fingers and I could like go like, you know, feed all the hungry people or something. You know, I would I would go with a, the most altruistic like I would need to sit down and do calculations for which would which superhero power would bring the greatest net utility to the planet in my day. Wow. No one's thought out the answer to the question quite in that way. I love it. <laughs> well, it's true. It's so, so good. <laughs> Um, okay, favorite book? Ah, mine. No, um, <laughs> this is the worst question because it's the hardest one to answer. <laughs> How can you have one favorite book? I love The Prophet. Oh, it's I've, my never, I've never heard of it. I'm going to have to check I'll it send out. You, I'll send you a copy. It's oh like a, a it's like a spiritual staple by a man named Khalil Gibran. Yeah, cool. Yep. I'm excited to check it out. Favorite movie? Mm. Um. Uh, my favorite movie is Contact by based off of Carl Sagan's novel oh. I know it's like kind of cheesy and terrible with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey ooh I love them <laughs> I'm excited to check it out it's like I watch it once a year and cry because it's all about like the universe and meaning <gasps> and the fall in love oh and my stuff. gosh I'm it's gonna cool. go to the library and get it like tonight it sounds amazing yeah that's like right up my alley. Yeah, um, contact. Favorite song? <sighs> um, like currently or of all time? Yeah, uh, you choose. <sighs> <laughs> I'm listening to a lot of Sam Smith right now, who I just love, 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 love. Um, of all time, I'll give a shout out to my mom. Um, Simple Gifts is like kind of an old classic hymn song of sorts and um i play the flute and i <clears throat> used to play it on the flute a lot and my mother loves it it's kind of like our song so I love yeah that. super nice you'll have to send this podcast to your mama <laughs> yep she no, she'll listen to, she listens to him i love it okay signature question last question 
as you know, and the name of my blog and this podcast is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, Stephanie, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you? What comes up? Um, in terms of like what I what I imagine? Yeah, uh, my, just what does it mean to you? It means to me being well enough to go do good things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I Like I said earlier, like I want to be well enough to make – to have my life be a masterpiece in a way that positively impacts people. And so a wellness wonderland is like I'm in good relationship with people and I love myself enough and, and it's all – great and now I can like be a positive presence be nice to the people around me take care of the people around me not be this terrible irritable cranky hermit I am so much of the time and um, and and really be able to like positively exist in relationship with the people around me as well as uh, whatever to cast that net as wide as I can for the um, people I can bring some light to or something That is so beautiful. I love that. And I completely agree. I think it's a huge shift when you shift from wanting to feel well and be well for vanity or for to fit into society's ideals, but to have serious vitality to be able to impact Mm -hmm. the world. And that's a powerful shift. So thank you so much for that and everything you shared. Like I said a million times, I think you're awesome. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation and like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.